Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Mosaic Church. It is good to see you guys today. My name is Nick Jonkowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic. And uh, we are concluding or getting ready to wrap up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to be reading today from Matthew chapter 7. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the danger of religion. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 23. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there. We're going to read that at the very beginning. If you have them on your phone, you can certainly turn there as well. And of course, if you have your song sheet, you'll find it there. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus begins by saying this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you as sheep in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear bad good fruit. That's a lot of trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, what a cheery message for Mother's Day. (laughs) If you're angry, I understand and I want to say that I'd like to hear from you and you can email your complaints to jmontano at mosaicwi.com. I want to start by um, sharing a story that I heard this week about a man who was on a date with a woman out in Long Beach, California a couple years ago. And uh, I don't know who this guy was, but apparently he thought it was appropriate to take her out for fried chicken. And uh, he gone to the local uh, restaurant to pick up a bucket of uh, some uh, chicken and went in and ordered, and the young woman working the counter mistakenly ended up putting a bag full of that day's process or profits into a bag and gave that to him instead of the chicken. The man, unbeknownst that he had this newly found treasure in this bag left with his date, went to a park, sat down, thinking they were going to eat some delicious, juicy chicken. But you can imagine his surprise that when he opened this bag, he didn't find chicken in there, he found a bag full of cash, almost $800 worth of money in this bag. And this guy was a bit of an unusual guy because some people might just think nobody's going to know I'm going to take it, right? I can go buy more chicken later with this $800. But this guy took the money, put it back in the bag, drove he and his date back to the chicken place. Mr. Clean got out of the car, walked in, 
and was going to return the money. And as you can imagine, the manager of this store was frantic. And so as the man walked in with this bag, he went up to the manager and looked him in the eyes and said, I want you to know that I came in here to buy a chicken dinner, but I walked out here with this bag of money and I want to bring it back to you. The manager was completely thrilled. He was elated. And so he said to this man, you you and your date have to stay here. I need to call the newspaper so I can have them come out and take your picture and put your name in the picture. To which the man very quickly and promptly responded, no, 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 don't do that. Puzzled, the manager said, why? And the man pulled him aside and said, that's not my wife. Sometimes having the real thing matters. Sometimes having the real thing matters. For me, when it comes to the real thing, don't give me a pressurized dairy topping. Give me whipped cream for my pumpkin pie. Don't give me some namby-pamby vegetarian patty. Give me 100% USDA ground beef on my burger. And don't give me some fake football team like the Green Bay Packers. Give me a real football team like the Midway of the Monster, the Midway Monsters or the Denver Broncos. Now, I, let me just say this too while I've got the microphone since I'm up here. You Packer fans, when Aaron comes to the Broncos, you can come root for us. We welcome all. All are welcome to, to root for the Broncos when Aaron comes and plays for us this year. But here's the truth that there is a world of difference between something that tries to look like the real thing and something that is the real thing. Amen? And it's the same when it comes to following Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And as we arrive in chapter 7, Jesus is concluding his magnum opus. And it's at this point in the message where Jesus is concluding that in our normal sermon, modern-day pastors might say something like, as I wrap up or so in closing, which if you're either Pastor Jason or myself, that's just code for we have 30 more minutes to preach. But in this case, Jesus is actually concluding his message, and he's going to call for a verdict. He's going to give us a stark choice. And when we read this passage, it's very easy to misunderstand what it is exactly Jesus is saying. So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Jesus isn't giving us a choice between choosing between following him and living a sinful life. That is a topic for another time. And Jesus isn't talking about an atheist or an agnostic in this passage either. He's talking to believers. He's talking to us, to you, and to me. And in this passage, he's saying that there are two ways that we can live as believers, and both are present in our faith journey, and that we need to choose. So let's look specifically at what Jesus is saying here. And the first thing that he's saying is that there are two ways that we can choose to live as Christ followers. And this is probably the most important thing that Jesus is going to say in this whole passage. So let's reread the verses from uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, when we first look at this verse, it's pretty easy to understand what Jesus is saying. 
As Christ followers, we might like to have more than two choices when it comes to our faith. But Jesus says there is only two. When it comes to our faith journey, it's not Baskin-Robbins. You don't have 31 flavors to choose from. You get two. You get chocolate or you get vanilla. And the idea of two paths is consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. If we were to look, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 or Jeremiah chapter 21, we would see that the Bible talks about two paths choosing between life and death. And if we were to look at Psalm chapter 1, we would see that there are two paths, the way of the sinner and the way of the righteous. As Christ followers, as Christians, we face a binary choice between a path that leads to destruction and a path that ultimately leads us to life. So when we see Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 7, we may be tempted to think that he's calling us to choose between a life of sin and a life of following him, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. If we look carefully at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven and its citizens. Jesus is saying that those characteristics, that those people that are part of the kingdom of heaven, if you remember, are the poor in spirit. There are those people who recognize their need for God and cry out to him for salvation. There are those who mourn. There are those people who grieve over the effects of sin, even when the world rejoices and promotes it. There are those who are not only outwardly righteous, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day, but there are those who practice an inward righteousness. And they pursue that righteousness by practicing spiritual disciplines like giving, praying, fasting, and confessing sin. And as Jason talked about last week, as they get rid of that sin in their own lives, they also help others grow closer to Jesus by getting rid of sin in their own lives too. Jesus isn't talking about agnostics, atheists, or even the irreligious in this verse. He's talking about and warning us against a counterfeit Christianity. It's what Jesus has been talking about in the entire Sermon on the Mount. The difference between a fake external commitment to God and something that genuinely comes from a real relationship with him inside of us. And this fits with the overall theme of the Sermon on the Mount, which is really about living a life that is whole and flourishes in contrast to dying slowly through religiosity. It also goes with what Jesus says in this section. Because remember, he's talking about two paths. Both of these paths may look good to us. Both of them e might even look the same. But although they look the same, they lead us in two very different directions. And then he goes on to talk about two kinds of prophets. Both seem to claim to be speaking for God, but both have very different results and fruit from their work. And then Jesus gives a warning that for anybody who's ever read this portion of Matthew, it at least might keep you up a little bit at night, if not cause you to pause for a moment and reflect on your own Christianity, on your own faith walk. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, beginning in verse 21 and 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not cast, drive out demons? And in your name did we not do many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Now, before I get to say what I want to say about this verse, I think it's important that we pause for a moment and address the 800-pound elephant that just walked into the room. Because, yikes. I mean, there may be some debate amongst Christians about what are some of the scariest verses in the Bible, but this verse here in Matthew 7 definitely ranks among the top of those verses. And so what is it specifically that Jesus is saying in this verse? Friends, it's frightening to think that we could end up in hell. It's frightening to find out too late that we thought we were going to heaven and end up finding out that we were going elsewhere. And it's still even more frightening to think that there are not just a few, as Jesus says, but there are actually many who will have and share this experience. Some people who think that they are actually following Christ with all their heart and lives They call Jesus Lord, and they might even do mighty miracles in his name. And yet they're never, were never truly saved. When reading this passage, it can be tempting, man, to just throw up our hands and say, well, what's the point then? Why even try? If there's no assurance of whether or not I'm going to make it to heaven, if I might live for Jesus and just find out that I'm going to get slapped down at the end, why even try? And I think that when we come across this verse, it should pause us as Christ followers to give some somber reflection about our own faith journey. But I also want to tell you this morning that I don't believe that Jesus is trying to scare us. I don't believe that he's trying to rob us of our assurance of salvation. It's true that he doesn't want us to be deceived because Jesus is a good savior. He's a caring savior. But he neither wants us to live in terror or uncertainty about our future state. So let me offer for you this moment a thought and even build, hopefully, some assurance in your minds about what Jesus is saying in this seemingly frightening passage. You see, through most of my life, when I read this verse, chapter or chapter 7, verse 23, I read this, depart from me because you never knew me, i.e., you were never saved. And that's true, but what actually Jesus is saying in this verse is, I never knew you. It's not ultimately a question of whether or not we know him, but that, and that's important, but what's more important is, does Jesus know us? And as I was reading this verse this week, I was reminded of one of C.S. Lewis's greatest works in the Narnia series, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader where there's a conversation happening between two of his characters, Edmund and Eustace. And Eustace, hearing Edmund talk of the Lion King Aslan, asks him, who is Aslan? And do you know him? And Edmund replies by saying this, well, he knows me. He knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor by the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. Did Edmund know Aslan? Well, of course he did. But when he was asked whether or not he did, Edmund didn't stop to consider his knowledge of the king, but more about whether or not the king had known him and loved him and had given himself for 
Edmund, even though he was a traitor. He knew Aslan, yes, but he only knew Aslan because Aslan first knew him. And so it is with us in Christ. Church, I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Because he desires to know you. And that is the good news of the gospel. Does he know you? Does he know you? Are you the kind of person, are you pursuing the kind of life that when you die and stand before Christ, you will meet him as an old friend at the end of the day? I ask this because there's actually going to be people who will have that experience. While yes, it's true that there will be those who will experience the horror of Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. The opposite is also true that there will be those that Jesus will say, welcome. Welcome, friend. It's finally good to see you face to face. I know you went through a lot for my sake. I saw that you weren't ashamed of me. And I want you to know that I'm not ashamed of you. Welcome home, brother. I look forward to continuing our friendship in eternity. And I think that's one of the things that can give us hope when we look at Matthew chapter 7 is that Jesus is saying that we don't have to live in terror of that final day of judgment. We can be preparing for it. Because for those who are known by Jesus, we won't have some huge disruption when we stand before him on that last day. It'll simply be a heightened continuation of a relationship that we already have with Jesus by faith. And so here's what I believe that Jesus was saying in relation to what he's been talking to in the Sermon on the Mount as he concludes. There are two paths. One seems better than the other because it's easier, it's wider. And the only problem with that path is that that path ends in destruction. It's the path where Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And this is the path that our famous theologian, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, called cheap grace. Cheap grace. And I want to read to you what Diedrich said about this. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Pause that while I find what he says next. (laughs) Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. In other words, it's a counterfeit Christianity. It's an empty religion. It's easy and it's cost-free. And as Jesus says, it's nothing like the real thing. And then there's the other path that Jesus describes, the narrow path. It's hard, and at times it's difficult. It's the proverbial road less traveled. But it's also, church, the road that leads to life. It's the road that leads to life. So church, this morning, I want to encourage us, I want to challenge us to say, don't settle for counterfeit Christianity. Instead, follow Jesus as if your life depends upon it. There are few things more devastating to our souls and more odious than counterfeit Christianity. And Jesus is clear about this. He says that your lives depend upon it. One of the greatest dangers that we face as followers of Christ trying to walk the narrow path is self-deception to think that we are really following after Jesus, the risen Lord, when in truth we are following empty religion. 
There are few things that are more deadly than this to our souls. And that's the first lesson of this passage. There are two ways to live, counterfeit Christianity and genuine Christianity. And here's the second lesson that Jesus teaches us in the midst of this. He says that Jesus gives us the difference between genuine Christianity and counterfeit Christianity. And if you look carefully at this passage, Jesus gives us three different pictures of what real Christianity looks like and what counterfeit Christianity looks like, what is true and what is false. In one of those pictures, he gives us this picture of the two roads. We talked about that. One is wide and one is narrow. And then he talks about this idea of two types of prophets. One are sheep and one are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And then he talks about these two trees, trees that bear good fruit and bad fruit. And Jesus is giving us some hints as to what it looks like to be able to spot genuine Christianity versus counterfeit Christianity in our faith journey. So let us see for just a moment if we can identify some of these in this passage. As we talked earlier, the broad path, the, the wide path is often easier. Church, I want to say to you this this morning, and this is a hard word to say, but it's true, is that Jesus, if you're Jesus, the Jesus that you follow does not make demands of your life. You are following a counterfeit Jesus. If your Jesus is convenient, you've got a counterfeit Christianity. Because here's the truth, while salvation is a gift that is freely given to us and something that we freely receive through Christ, when we accept that free gift, it costs us everything. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said again, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. So we see that one of the ways to differentiate the two is between the ease of the path that we're on. And then Jesus talks about the fact that counterfeit Christianity is led by dangerous predators. This is part of the problem because not only is there this thing, about this horrible thing called counterfeit Christianity, but there's a problem that there's dangerous predators and it makes it all the worse that they're presenting counterfeit gospel to us. Jesus said these are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like us. They may even talk like us. And therein lies the danger of counterfeit Christianity. It would be easy if it appeared as just blatant heresy, right? I mean, if Jason got up here one Sunday morning and said, guys, I've had a revelation from God. Jesus was actually a giraffe. And to get to heaven, you need to ride a unicycle and juggle balls. We would be able to say that's counterfeit. It's heresy. It's blatant. But counterfeit Christianity rarely presents itself as being openly opposition to God. Oftentimes, it pre pre presents variations or shades of the truth. They're wolves in disguise. They're out to do damage. And Jesus says that we can know them because their lives produce fruit. That if we watch them, we'll be able to see that they produce fruit that is representative of what's going on inside of their hearts. Jason and I have been around long enough to be able to see this and other Christian leaders, and I'm sure you probably have too. Counterfeit Christianity is a Christianity led by counterfeit Christian leaders. And here's the thing, that we can go through the motions, we can attend church, and we can completely miss the point of what Jesus is doing. When I was a youth pastor, we used to say that kids would give the Jesus answer. We would ask them any question, and they would inevitably answer, Jesus, because it's the right answer. 
but they were missing the point. And there are these two paths that run through every church. In church, these paths, the stakes on which path we find ourselves, the stakes could not be higher for us. A counterfeit Christianity is out there, and we need to choose to follow the path of life. And this leads me to the final conclusion that Jesus is talking about. Church, choose the narrow path. I get why it's easy to fall for counterfeit Christianity. I get why why counterfeit Christianity is so attractive. Because you get what looks to be real at a much lower cost. It makes fewer demands on you, and it doesn't interfere with your lifestyle as much. But that's one of the problems with counterfeit Christianity. As Jesus says, it's entirely external. It's what Jesus has been talking about through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Counterfeit Christianity does does some of the things right on the outside, but it's hollow on the inside. You can't behave yourself into being a Christ follower. Jesus has shown us some of the problems with this approach. He has said that it's a path that leads to destruction. It's easy, and it doesn't produce good fruit. That's the bad news. But church, the good news this morning is that Jesus says, choose. The path is not predetermined for you. You have a choice to follow on the narrow path towards Christ. So how does one choose to follow the narrow path? I think the best way to answer that question is for us to step back and look at the entire Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has preached. In this sermon, Jesus has talked about an entirely new way of living. If you remember back to the very beginning, Jesus talked about those who were blessed and those people were blessed who were those in this world who didn't have a whole lot. But they were happy because they discovered the kingdom of God and there was nothing in the world that could take that away from them. And then Jesus tells us more about these people. He says they have one unusual characteristic. Their insides match their outsides. Now, when I say that, I want you to know I'm not talking about matching your socks and your underwear with your outward outfit, okay? I actually knew a dude, believe it or not, in high school who prided himself in being able to do that. He's saying that our outward actions should reflect our inward beliefs of our hearts. They are not just outwardly pure, but they're pure inside as well. And because of that, they are able to do some of the things that Jesus talks about, forgiving enemies, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, handling their anger, and staying sexually pure in a world full of temptation. And then Jesus said, when it comes to church, they also match on the inside there as well. They don't just pray so that other people can hear them in public but they pray in private where no one is watching. And they're more concerned about impressing God because they recognize that at the end of the day, the only person whose opinion matters is Jesus's. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the way they handle money and how it's natural for us as human beings to worry about money. I think all of us, including myself at one time or another, have worried about whether or not God is going to provide for us. But Jesus says that these people growing in the reality that they understand that as they pursue God's kingdom, that God is going to provide everything for them. And that is the story of Mosaic Church. 
You think um, sometimes as a pastor, maybe we don't worry about those things, but I can tell you honestly that there have been multiple conversations that Jason and I have had over these last few weeks where we have worried about whether or not the bottom line was going to meet what we needed to accomplish in this building that we stand in front of. We've had conversations and thought about what do we need to do? What kind of fundraising projects do we need to do to make this happen? And in fact, we had a conversation not too long ago with our executive team. And we laid out all these fantastic ideas about all the amazing things that we could do. And we have a man who's an amazing man of God who stopped Pastor Jason and I said, and said, hey guys, what if we just prayed and trusted Jesus? We grew in that reality that day of understanding that if we were willing to trust God and following and pursuing his kingdom, he would provide for us. And so if I was to summarize the type of disciple that Jesus is describing in this moment, I would say this, that it is a disciple who has discovered that Jesus in the kingdom of God is what matters most and that their inside matches their outside. That's it. That is what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, pursue the narrow pathway of life. And we can contrast this with the other way we can live, the narrow pathway we can invest in stuff that will ultimately be taken away from us. We can work on being morally good on the outside, but never have anything change on the inside. We can accumulate money. We can judge others with never being willing to look at the faults of our own. And worst of all, we can die trying to prove to Jesus that we've succeeded, only to find out that God doesn't even know us. Friends, this morning, I want to encourage us, don't settle for a counterfeit Christianity in your faith. Follow Jesus as if your life depended upon it. Don't settle for a counterfeit Christianity, but follow Jesus as if your life depended upon it. This morning, friends, cast yourself upon Jesus and ask him to help you with your brokenness and with your failures. This is a safe place to do this. But as you do that, be sure that you ask that Jesus also changes your outside so it matches what's on the inside. Friends, this morning, I encourage you to pursue Jesus's kingdom more than anything else in this world because at the end of the day, God's kingdom is the only thing that matters. I encourage you to live in community with believers and to make disciples everywhere you go. Pray and pursue God. The journey will be hard as Jesus said, and it will be costly. But at the end of the day, we'll find that we have chosen the path that leads to life and that there are those and few, of, uh, few who actually find it. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world visit us at mosaicwi.com.